Jesus' followers continued to spread the word about him, including Saul, now called Paul, and his friend Barnabas. They traveled by foot and boat, inviting other followers of Jesus to join them in sharing the good news about Jesus. In each new city they visited, Paul would go first to the synagogue to share with the Jewish people that the Messiah had come. Everywhere he went, people believed what Paul was teaching and chose to start following the way of Jesus. But some simply couldn't believe what Paul was saying, and others were threatened by Paul's message and began trying to find ways to stop him. A few times, Paul and his friends were attacked and beaten so severely that they almost died. They were also thrown in jail. Despite this opposition, Paul kept telling others about Jesus. One night, sitting in prison, Paul and his fellow worker Silas began to sing songs to God in the middle of the night. When they did, a violent earthquake shook the jail and all of the prison doors came open. The prison guard was so distraught that he took out his own sword to kill himself until Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The guard was so overwhelmed by Paul and Silas that he asked them to tell him and his family about Jesus and about God's ways. In each city, Paul helped Jesus' followers organize themselves into communities called churches. After he left these churches, he would often write letters back to them to encourage, correct, and teach them to live more like Jesus. These letters were read aloud in the churches over and over and have continued to be read by followers of Jesus. The mission of the Apostle Paul. And as we talk about the mission of the Apostle Paul, we're talking about the mission of God. Because Paul did what God called him to do. We're continuing our series this morning called The Story. Looking at the story of God from Genesis to Revelation. We're almost through the end of it. We just have two more weeks after today. Isn't that amazing? By the end of two weeks, if you stayed up with us, you'll have read 70% of the Bible. And this morning, as we talk about the mission of the Apostle Paul, there are many passages that we could look at. There are many passages we could focus on. But I chose this morning to focus on 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you have your own Bibles, I encourage you to turn to that passage. It's an amazing passage. But what is it, what was the key to the Apostle Paul? Well, the key is something that you and I can do. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Paul is saying, I have died to my own desires. I have died to my own will. I have died to my own desires and purposes and dreams and ambitions. Lord, I want to live my life the way you would live my life. I, it's so that he could say it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living in me. It's Christ accomplishing his purposes in me and through me in the world. And so you see on the um, on your top of your outline this morning just one verse that's an example of this. The book of Acts is really the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's not the acts of the apostles because the apostles weren't doing what they would do for themselves. The, the apostles were doing what the Lord was calling them to do. 
because they had surrendered. They had submitted to the will and the purposes of God. And friends, the more that you and I submit to the will and the purposes of God, the more that we are driven and empowered by the Holy Spirit to be his witness, to be his ambassador in all the places he calls us to go. And here's one great example. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, the Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said. Now, it doesn't really matter what he said at this point. What matters is that his words were given to him by God through the Holy Spirit. He was speaking the words of God in that moment. Empowered, driven by the Holy Spirit. Now the problem is, for many of us, we are empowered by our own desires. And we are, we are seeking to meet our expectations and the expectations that others have for us. Friends, we should li live to an audience of one. Seeking to live according to his plan and to his desire as the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. Last week we saw the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Jesus, after his ascension into heaven, he had to die, rise again, ascend into heaven, and then his spirit was sent to every Christian to strengthen and empower us to live a life that we were intended to live, that we were created to live. A life that is driven by love for God and driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we do that, we live on mission in this world. Well, what does it look like to live on mission? What we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is, I think, one of the great pictures of the mission that God has for all of us. So in the chapter 1, Paul affirms this wonderful church. It's, it's rare that Paul affirms a church when he sends a letter. Typically, he's correcting them. In the letter of 1 Thessalonians, he's giving them, he's answering questions, but there's so much to affirm about this beautiful church. There's so much to say, wonderful things to say about this church. And so Paul, in the first chapter, describes the church. In the second chapter, he describes the kind of ministry that created that church. So this morning, we're just going to look at chapter 1, Paul's mission. It's reflected in this great church. And so we see it. And as we look at these five things this morning, what I want to ask you to do is to evaluate yourself. Evalu evaluate yourself and evaluate the church. How am I doing in these five marks of an effective believer? These five marks of, a, of an effective church that is living on mission. An effective life that is living on mission. And we see the first one here. We see that the first mark of an effective church is work produced by faith. Work produced by faith. Now, what does that mean? We read this in the passage. We read this. Your I'm sorry. We read, we remember before God and Father, your work produced by faith. Now, I think a problem that a lot of us have is that we only take a step of faith when we see that the step that we're taking is a safe step. For us, most of us, faith is what I can do apart from God in this world. That's not faith. 
Faith is letting God do what only he can do in your life and through your life to change the world. Faith is taking a step that requires courage because God is calling you to take that step of courage. But as I mentioned, I think what happens to most of us is that we only take steps when we know that next step is going to be safe. And so we don't give of ourselves as God calls us to give. Because what if, what if God's not going to give us enough? What if God isn't going to be enough for us? And so we hold back. And we live by sight. I give in light of what I can give and still have all the things that the world offers me. I give until I get tired and then I stop. Instead of breaking through that wall with the strength and the power that Christ has given me through the presence of the Holy Spirit to do what he has called me to do. Friends, most of us live by sight and not by faith. Let me give you a couple examples of what it means to live by faith. It's being willing to sacrifice as we live in this world. It's being willing to put the, the, the needs of the kingdom of God and the needs of others and the call of God ahead of my own dreams and desires and ambitions. It means that my first and foremost goal in life is not security in this world. It is not ease of life and comfort in this world. It is not wealth in this world. My ultimate goal in this world is to live in a right relationship with God and to live out that relationship in this world as I love people and as I live the, in, in the gifts that God has given to me to serve him first and foremost. What happens is we want to have a foot in the kingdom of the world and a foot in the kingdom of God. We want to make sure that we get all the great things that the world offers without having to give up too much to serve the Lord. So we don't want to give up our reputation. We don't want to give up our finances. We don't want to give up our possessions. We don't want to give up our relationships. We don't want to lay them at the altar of God and say, Lord, this all belongs to you. How do you want to use these very things that you have provided me in my life? Because maybe, just maybe, he's going to ask me to give till it hurts. Well, Lord, if I do that, that's not going to meet my goal of being wealthy in this world and being comfort, comfortable in this world. Yeah. Because God wants us to learn to depend upon him because when we depend upon him, friends, we realize that he's enough. And if we never take the step of faith, we never learn that God is enough. And if we never learn that God is enough, we're never, we're never going to take that step of faith in our lives. We'll never do it. Now, there have been times in my life I've taken a step of faith and times I knew God was calling me and I got to the edge of that diving board, looked over and I said, oh, wow, that's a big jump. And I climbed back down the ladder. But I got to tell you, every time that I have taken that step of faith, what I have learned is this. God is bigger than I realize. God is better than I realize. God is the one who will sustain me. God is the one who will provide for me. God is the one who will inspire me. God is the one 
in whom I have ultimate security and ultimate comfort. Friends, you don't learn that until you take that step of faith. When the Jews came to the Jordan River and it was flowing at flood stage, I mean, it was moving fast. He didn't part the Jordan River until the Levites put their foot in the water. He didn't part it before they took the step. They had to take the step into the water. Then he parted the Jordan River. See, friends, we don't see the power of God because we never step into the Jordan River. We never see the power of God because we only do what we know we can handle in this life. I'm not saying take crazy risks. I'm saying do what God is calling you to do. Surrender to him. Be what he has called you to be. And then you will begin to see God do what only he can do in this world. Let me give you another example. It means to have our faith produced, our work produced by faith means simply this. Praying as much as we work. Now we work and we pray at the same time. When I say, when Paul talks about work, he's talking about doing work for the kingdom of God. He's talking about serving the kingdom of God. I remember a time many years ago, um, the early years in our last church, and I can remember that our budget, our church was exploding in growth, and our budget wasn't keeping up with growth, which is very common in churches. And I remember this particular night when the elders met, and we were talking about cutting our budget. It was partway through the year. And I remember this wise man, this wise elder, stopped the conversation. And he said, I want to ask you two questions. He said, here's the first question. How many of you believe that the budget that we have is the budget that God has called our church to have? Every hand in that room went up. We all raised our hands. Yes. Then he asked this question. How many of you have made this issue a concerted focus of prayer? Not one hand, including mine, went up in that room. He said, before we do anything, we give this to the Lord. Before we do anything, we come on our knees before God and we ask him. We ask him. We ask him to intervene. If this is his church and we believe this is the budget he gave us, we believe that he will provide. Okay, let's give it a month. We weren't that bold. We'll give it a month. We began right in that moment. We began praying. The very next Sunday, we had the highest giving in the history of the church. And we had never told anyone. Our average giving was about 20000 a week. That Sunday, our giving, just a blue-collar church out in the country, our giving was over $75,000. God was saying to us, this is not your church. You cannot do this ministry apart from me. You cannot do what I am asking you to do in your strength, with your resources, in your power. I learned a life lesson in that moment. 
It is not about what I can do. It's about what God can do as I surrender to him in me and through me. And the same is true for you. We need to step and live and work by faith. We need to have, allow God to work in us and through us to change the world, friends. And it happens when we say with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ by his spirit who lives in me. Doing what only he can do to change my family, to transform my relationships, to transform the world that people may know Jesus, may meet Jesus, may grow in Jesus. And the church of Jesus Christ might rise up and be a beacon of light in this dark world. Friends, I believe in the God who sits on the throne of the universe. I need to depend on him, not on me. Here's a second thing. As you evaluate your life, where are you in this question? Where are we as a church in light of that question? Here's a second thing I want you to see. Labor prompted by love. And the question here is, is my service for the Lord, my love for God and my love for others, is it real, is it genuine, is it authentic, or do I just use God and use others for what I can get from them? I think what happens to us in our relationship with, with Christ is often we keep God here in, in our room with us. We keep him right there. Not, in the, not as a throne of our lives, but over here on the side. And we want God to give us things that we need in this life. But we don't love him enough that we would serve and surrender fully to him. I love this. Your labor, your labor for the kingdom, your work for the kingdom of God, prompted by what? What does it say? Love. Driven by love. Empowered by love. One of the things I'm so grateful for is that God has given me such a love for you as a congregation. I love the people of Cross Point. I want my ministry to you to be prompted, empowered, strengthened by genuine love. Loving you for who you are, not for what I can get from you, but loving you because God loves you. And loving God in the same manner. Now some of you, I'm going to encourage you and challenge you to pray about this very issue in your life. Maybe you find and you realize in your life that, you know what? A lot of what I'm doing is driven not by love for people, but for what I can get from them. In fact, if you knew the truth, I really don't really care for people that much, right? You know what? I want to encourage you. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to begin praying this prayer. God, expand my heart. God, give me a love even for the people that are hard to love. Lord, expand my ability to love people. May I have passion for people, God, as you have passion for people. May I be broken by the things that break the heart of God in the lives of people. May I really care for people. I guarantee you, as you make that your prayer, God will expand your ability to love people and care about people. 
And so no longer will you love people for what you can get from them, even in your marriage. You will love people because God loves them. And it's just an overflow of the Spirit's presence in your life to love people. Paul, the Apostle Paul, even loved the very people that put him in prison and abused him. He loved because God loved, and the heart of God overflowed in him. I want you to hear these words. A lot of you uh, have gone to weddings or married yourself. We know we often hear 1 Corinthians 13 in weddings. They always begin in verse 4. But listen to verses 1 to 3. Paul says, if I speak in the tongue of men and angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move a mountain, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul took the great spiritual gifts of the church and he said, if, if I had these gifts to its fullness, but I didn't love, I have nothing. I accomplish nothing. I do nothing. If I make food for somebody who is, who is in need and I bring that meal over, but while I'm making that food, I'm grumbling because I don't want to be doing this. And I'm doing it because somebody asked me and I feel like I should say yes. Or I do it because I'm expected to do it. That doesn't honor God. We do it because we love. We do it because we care about the people we're serving. We're passionate about them because it's the passion of the heart of God. Amen? It's not my passion. It's not my love. It's the love of God overflowing through me. How are we doing as a church? How are we doing as individuals? Here's a great passage in chapter 2. Paul says, just as a nursing mother, I love this, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, Paul said, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. We were fully invested. Why oh, don't you love that? What would happen if we as Christians were fully invested in the lives of people, out of the love that God has for them. What would happen if you did that in your marriage? What would, you, what would happen if you did that with your children and your grandchildren or your parents and your siblings? What could happen? What could happen? Here's the third one I want you to see. Endurance inspired by hope. Am I able to remain faithful to God even in those times where I'm discouraged? Those times where I'm suffering. Those times of heartache and hardship. Can I continue to be faithful to God? This is an amazing verse. And your endurance. Your endurance to continue in hard times. Inspired by hope. Well, what is hope? Hope is confidence in the future. Based on who God is. And based on the promises that he has made to us. Hope isn't wishful thinking. Hope is I have energy because I know one day God has promised that I'm going to be with him in heaven forever. And I'm going to receive reward for my faithfulness in this life. And I'm going to follow him and I'm going to live for him. I'm going to give myself fully to him. 
You see, when I live in light of who God is and I live in light of the promises that he has made, that's what hope is. And hope inspires us even when we're discouraged, even when we are wondering if we can take another step. Oh God, I'm discouraged. Flood my heart, my mind right now of reminders of you and what you have promised that I may be inspired to continue even in the midst of suffering. The fourth one is being imitators of the Lord. And the question is, am I seeking to follow the example of Jesus? Again, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, we read, you became imitators of us, Paul said. Wow, stop right there. Imitators of us. Let me ask you, do you want people to imitate you? Ooh. Well, maybe a little bit, but they're over, I don't, not over here. Do you want, are you living a life that your children one day, or your children today, can say, I want to be an imitator of you? You are setting an example for me to follow, and I want to walk in your steps. And then he says this, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, and you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Spirit gives us joy. The Spirit gives us joy. And that joy enables us to become imitators of Jesus. Now, as I think about being an imitator of Jesus, one of the characteristics of Jesus that is most often mentioned in the New Testament is his humility. Humility. What is humility? Humility is not putting myself on the throne of my life. Humility is not making sure that I live every moment for myself. Humility is saying, I want to give up what I want for me to serve the kingdom of God. I want to give up what I want for me to serve you. And if we all did that, can you imagine what a glorious place this would be? Listen to what he says. Become imitators of us and of the Lord. And then finally, proclaiming the gospel. Paul says about this amazing church, listen to what he says in verse 8. The Lord's message, the Lord's message, not my message, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, which is the surrounding areas, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Everywhere. Isn't that beautiful? You see, what they had received from God did not stay in their church. But it flowed into the outer areas of Macedonia and Achaia. The greater inland empire. Southern California. California, the nation. And Paul says, and your faith has become an example for believers throughout the world. Friends, they were... They were witnesses for Jesus in the places that Jesus had called them to be. Here are five marks of an effective Christian life. I want to ask you this morning, as you look at your life and you measure your life against these five, and as you measure our church against these five, I want to ask you this question. Where do you need to grow? 
I need to grow. I need to grow. Maybe I'm the only one here who needs to grow, but I know I need to grow. And you know what? I love that. Christ is going to make me better. He's going to make me better because of the power of his truth, the power of his word. I want to close with this story. I think it's a great story. I was in high school. I was in a public school in Costa Mesa, an incredible high school, really, in many ways, called Estancia. And I was a junior, and I remember that we had a teacher, a history teacher, who was not a Christian. And he was going to write a book about um, how to raise kids. So he picked what he considered five outstanding students, both in character and in their academics. And he said, I want you, we, and they didn't know who the others were, he said, I want you to write, I want you to write an essay about what your parents did to make a difference in your life. Get this. All five in this public school that he asked were Christians. All five spoke not just about their parents, but of the power of what Jesus had done for them. This history teacher fell to his knees and gave his life to Jesus and became the faculty representative for the Christian fellowship group on campus. That's the power of being a witness for Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the inspiration of the word for the power of the gospel to impact lives. The power, Lord, to, of the Holy Spirit to strengthen us and lead us and guide us, convict us, change us, transform us. Reconcile our relationships. Set us free from addictions. Father, as we all here today, broken people, lay our lives before these five markers. Be gentle with us, Lord. But Lord, lead us and guide us that we may grow for the glory of Jesus. Amen. Amen.